there's a theme to all the music you've heard this morning. A theme around the holiness of God. A theme around His gifts and sacrifice. A theme of worshiping Him before the throne and our already in Christ, being in Christ before the throne. Someday that will be a eschatological reality as we stand there, or more likely bow there. But even as we come this morning, we come with the throne of God before our eyes. And nowhere is it any more glorified, if you will, than at the cross. We have been talking about the cross, the burial, and the things surrounding that for the last several weeks out of John chapter 19, and we're going to stay there today, and we'll get to the resurrection next week, or two weeks from today. I'll be out next week, but two weeks from today. And uh, when we come back, we will get full-blown into the resurrection, which is always, to me, the fun part, if you will, of the gospel message. Because it's the time when all the grief and all the sadness and all the, the concern and all the worry and all the fretting is, is vanquished. It's, it's just taken away. Because all of a sudden the disciples are seeing what the promise was that had been made to them over and over and over again during his ministry, but that he never heard. But we as believers in the 21st century, we have the we have the privilege we have the joy of knowing that the resurrection has taken place and knowing that the ascension has taken place knowing that the holy spirit has come and and even as we look at the cross and look at the burial and the death of christ we we look at it with a different eye because we know what's coming don't we and that's great but i hope we never fail to look at what is taking place what is transact what transaction is taking place on that cross as we read these, these passion accounts of our Lord and our, these burial accounts of our Lord. This is, not, this is not just theater. This is not just a story. This is a reality of a suffering Savior. Suffering on the cross that He might bear our sins. As, as Paul said it to the Corinthian Christians, it, it, that, that He who knew no sin might become sin so that we who have no righteousness might become the very righteousness of God. That is a tremendous transaction. Exchange. Something that is taken and something that is given that, that we benefit from. And when we read these stories about the crucifixion, I, as a believer, I can't help but be moved in my spirit and moved in my heart to recognize my salvation was paid at a great cost. It's, it was not a cheap thing. It was not a simple waving of the hand by God and saying, oh, well, sin is no big deal. It's all forgiven. Didn't t- that's not how it happened. There had to be a sacrifice. For thousands of years, the sacrifice had been symbolized. On the Day of Atonement, the Lamb was offered. The Lamb that was with, without blemish. The Lamb that had no broken bones as it was sacrificed. It was a, it was a tremendous sacrificial offering and that was that was carried out all the time by the Israelites but every single one of those was pointing to the true lamb of God that was yet to come every one of those was saying the lamb the perfect lamb is going to be sacrificed here 
the, the lamb without blemish, but the perfect lamb is yet to come. And he is coming. And on the cross, he has come. When John the Baptist said in those words, when Jesus went up out of the water, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, the people standing around knew what he was talking about. Their minds immediately went to those little lambs that were sacrificed. And now John is saying, here is the, capital T-H-E, the Lamb of God who doesn't just symbolize removal of sin, who doesn't just temporarily and, 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 and take, away, take care of sin in a symbolic way, but who really does take away the sin of the world for all who believe. I mean, it's just a, it's an amazing thing to dwell on, to think about, and to focus on as believers. You know, it ought to move us. It ought to affect us in our spirits as we read that. Starting again in verse 31, I want you to hear the words about the burial. We've already talked about earlier in this chapter about uh, the the trial, the mock trial before Pilate where Pilate wanted to set him free. We've already talked about how he was was given over and said, take him and, and do with him what you will. And they took him out and crucified him. And, and, and there on the cross, he, he said, Mother, behold your son, and son, behold your mother, John to Mary, and Mary back to John, and, and all of that transacting, and then him finally saying, it is finished. Saw him speaking to Pilate and saying, Pilate, you have no authority over me except the authority that has been given you from above. Now, there was a kind of a double uh, entendre there. There was a there was double idea. I mean, Pilate was there as a as a civil representative and all civil government is is from God Paul tells in Romans 13 and and that is true but there was a greater deeper meaning there that you would not even be able to do this pilot unless God was giving permission unless the father was saying this can can transpire then some asked me this week what did he what did Jesus mean when he said in the latter part of that verse when he said for this reason he who delivered me to you has the greater sin is that Meaning there's some sins are not as bad as others. Some that are, in God's eyes, are lessened. Not really. But we understand that there are greater degrees from our perspective in seeing sin. And, and certainly when, when Jesus says that to Pilate, he's talking about the one who delivered him over. Some believe it was Judas. I happen to think he's talking about Caiaphas there as the one who had the authority, really, of the law of God to set him free and should have by the law that was given, but, but Caiaphas delivered him over. Judas was a, a guilty tool in the process, but Caiaphas is the one as the religious leader who gave him over. And, and Jesus is saying, listen, his sin is greater than yours. Yours is sin, but his is greater because he should know better. He has the truth of God. He has the word of God. He has the prophets. He has the law. He ought to know better. It's much in the same way when Jesus says, you know, you've committed murder in your heart if you hate a brother. He doesn't mean it. If you hate, if, if you hate somebody, it's, it's kind of like murder, so you might as well go ahead and do it. He doesn't mean there's less, uh, uh, less culpability in actually carrying out the act than the thought, but the thought is, is sin, and, and so is the act. One is greater from our perspective because it certainly affects another person physically and otherwise. 
But Jesus in these last days is saying, listen, the people who ought to know have rejected me. The people who ought to know better have been afraid of me. Pilate, you're operating out of some political ambition, and that's, that's sinful in and of itself. But you're operating out of a mindset that does not understand the things of God. Caiaphas is another case. He understands that. So this is what John writes about the burial. And we're going to focus in really on verse 35. Then the Jews, because of the day of preparation, so the bodies would not remain on the crosses on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath was a high day, asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and then they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and they broke the legs of the first man and the other who was crucified with him. But coming to Jesus, when they saw that he was already dead, he's already said, it is finished, and he gave up his spirit. When he saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs, but one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out. Listen to verse 35. And he who has seen has testified, and his testimony is true. And he knows that he is telling the truth so that you also may believe. He makes a similar statement we'll look at in a few weeks over in chapter 21 verse 24 which says this is the disciple who is testifying to these things and wrote these things that we may know that is te- and we may know that his testimony is true now these things came to pass to fulfill the scripture not a bone of him shall be broken and again another scripture says they shall look on him whom they pierced and then they took him down and they buried him in the tomb But I want you to see today just what I'm calling the title, John the Apologist. Several, a couple of quarters ago, we studied in in Sunday school the the concept of Christian apologetics. Christian apologetics is not apologizing for something, but it's making an apology, making a defense. It's trying to show the evidence that supports a certain fact. And John, all through his gospel, is functioning as an apologist. He's giving testimony, he's giving witness, and he talks about that. And here he says, I want you to know that I saw it, I'm testifying to it, that it's true, and I know that I'm telling the truth. Three times there, he focuses on this idea that I'm giving you the truth. I'm testifying to the truth. I want you to understand what the truth is. And I'm doing that for one reason and one reason only. I'm doing that so that you may believe. John's greatest desire in this gospel, and my greatest desire for everybody under the sound of my voice at any given time is is onefold, that you may believe. Not that you just may believe a bunch of facts about Christianity or about Christ or about God or about the Bible. Not that you just believe that some things are true, but what difference does it make? But to recognize and believe that truth is truth, and it makes all the difference in the world. 
that when you understand the truth and you believe the truth and you place your faith in the truth, and Jesus said, I am the truth, and you place your faith in him, it makes all the difference in the world, and it makes all the difference in the world to come. That's what John wants you to understand. That's what John is one of the people who are reading this book initially to understand. All of these things have happened. All of these witnesses have been born so that you may believe. Belief is the, the key to gaining understanding of the book of John. And John is so eager that you grasp that. Matter of fact, I was, I was reading this past week a book entitled Jesus the Evangelist. And in one of his chapters, Richard Phillips is the guy's name, he talked about that a little bit, about how John is so interested in this that all through John, he's showing various witnesses to the truth besides himself. He, he's showing how everything comes to pass by by showing pictures of who Jesus is and by different avenues. He starts in his prologue that I had Brother Scott read part of just a little bit ago, talking about bearing witness to light and life and, and, and grace, that light is a, that there's darkness in the world and the light of Jesus is to shine in that darkness. He, he talks about the importance of witness in John 1, 7, and, and that word appears something like 14 times in the whole Gospel of John. Witness, or testifying to the truth, is an important concept for John. He wants us to see it. He wants us to understand it. Leon Morris, the, the New Testament, Australian New Testament scholar, made this statement. He said, John is insistent that there is good evidence for the things he sets down. Witness establishes truth. If you go into a courtroom today, you bring in witnesses to testify as to what the facts or the truth of the case is. Now, I realize that we live in a day where that witness may or may not be telling the truth. That witness may or may not. They may have a, uh, an ulterior motive. They may have an invested interest or whatever. But, but the idea is, and the ideal is, that you bring in witnesses who know something about the facts so that they can give the facts and the truth can be determined. John is saying, I am giving you a witness to establish the truth of who Jesus is. And there are about eight things throughout his gospel, and we've looked at most of them already in expository preaching through it, but there are about eight things I want you to see that John uses, eight witnesses that John uses to, to show the truth of the gospel, to show the truth that Jesus is who he said he was, or who he says he is. The, the first witness John uses is, is the witness of God the Father. The witness of God the Father. In John 8, 18, Jesus said, The Father who sent me bears witness about me. Now, how does the Father bear witness about me? Well, he did it at the baptism when the heavens opened up and the voice came from heaven and said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. He did it on the Mount of Transfiguration when Peter and John and James were there with Jesus and Elijah appeared and Moses appeared and then Jesus was transfigured in his glory and a voice came from heaven and said, This is my beloved Son. Listen to him. The Father bore witness that he was the Messiah. The Father bore witness also through His Word and through His prophets. The Father was speaking to point that who, who, he, who Jesus said He was, He really was. So the Father bore witness. Secondly, Jesus Himself bore witness. He bore witness to Himself. He said in John 8, 14, He said, If I do 
If I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and I know where I'm going. I know that I existed, as John said, before he did, because he is the eternal Son of God. He's always, he was, his pre-incarnate existence was a reality. He has always been a part of the Godhead, a part of the Trinity, a part of the deity. And he said, listen, I'm bearing witness of who I am because I know where I came from. I know where I'm going. I'm going to the cross. I'm going to the grave. I'm going to raise again, and then I'm going to ascend to the Father. I know where I'm going. I'm going back where I came from. And Jesus continually bore witness throughout his ministry as to who he was. The third witness, keeping the Trinitarian pattern here, is the Holy Spirit. John told us, as Jesus spoke in John 15 about being in union with him, that I am the vine and you are the branches, and he who abides in me will, will bear much fruit. He, abide, he who abides in me will persevere. He who abides in me will continue and bear fruit in my name. He, he also said down in verse 26 of that chapter, he said, When the Helper, that is the Holy Spirit, comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. Now, he did that at Pentecost when Peter stood up and said, Here, Here's what's happened. You godless men, by dirty and evil hands, have put to death the one whom God predetermined to be the sacrifice, but you're still culpable. You're still guilty for what took place. The Holy Spirit moved that day and 3,000 people came to know Christ and were baptized and the church began to explode, not because all those 3,000 were talented and gifted orators, not because they really were good at talking people into something, but because the Holy Spirit went before them, the Holy Spirit went with them, and the Holy Spirit testified to who Christ was and people believed. That's what happens today. There's no evangelism, there's no missions. There's no worship, true worship, without the Holy Spirit. Because the Spirit is bearing witness in our spirit that He is who He said He was, and it's, He's energizing us to worship and to witness and to do missions as He called us to do. So the first three witnesses are the Father, the Son Himself, and the Holy Spirit. The fourth witness is the works, the signs that Jesus gave. John is always focusing on those. And, and Jesus himself said, The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me in John 10, 25. It's an important emphasis in God, John's gospel. John records all of the marvelous sign miracles that Jesus did. And every one of those signs, every one of those miracles was to say something about him. He, he fed 5,000 and said, I'm the bread of life. He, 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 he healed the blind man who'd been blind since birth, and he said, I'm the light of the world, and, and he who is in me will never be blind spiritually. I mean, all of those signs were bearing witness, each and every one of them, that he really was who he says he is. And so Jesus says, my works bear witness of me. And he even said later on to some of the, the, the Sanhedrin, he said, look, why don't you just look at the works I do? You have seen them. You've been among me, you've, you, you, among the people who have seen them happen. You know they're true. Why don't you just believe because of the works, if nothing else? The signs, of nothing else. The fifth witness is Scripture. Even as 
in this passage we just read about the breaking of the legs where Scripture says not a bone shall be broken and another says they shall look on him whom they pierce. The most important purpose of the Old Testament prophets for us is pointing to the coming Messiah, showing how each of those prophecies would be fulfilled in Jesus himself. They taught about him. They mentioned he was coming. And all of those prophecies about Messiah were fulfilled in that one man. An absolute statistical improbability. Impossibility, almost. If he were not who he said he was. If he were not the one about whom the prophecies were written. And John shows us that the prophets speak of him. Jesus said, Moses spoke of him. He, he said in John 5, 39, Jesus said, You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness of me. The scriptures bear witness of Christ. What we call the Old Testament is constantly pointing to Christ. Constantly pointing to who he is. That's why you can preach and read and study the Old Testament with a Christological view, Christ-centered view, because they're pointing to him, they're witnessing about him. There's a sixth thing, though, and that is the witness that Scott read about earlier out of John chapter 1, and that is the witness of John the Baptist, or John the Baptizer. He, he wasn't the first Southern Baptist, by the way, just so you understand. He wasn't even the first Baptist Okay, but, but he was John the baptizer who came as a forerunner, who came, if you will, uh, to, to speak of the Messiah that is yet to come. He, he came in the ministry uh, that resembled the prophet Elijah, declaring the day of the Lord, declaring the coming of Messiah. And, and, and some of them wanted to make John the Messiah. Some of them said, oh, you ought to be the one. And John said, look, I'm not him. I'm just coming to tell you about him. Again, in that famous crucifixion painting that I, probably the only one I really like is the Grunewald painting, the altarpiece by Grunewald, which is symbolic in a million ways. But as Jesus hanging on the cross, has John the Baptist standing over to the side, and John's already dead long since. But John is standing there with that finger pointed like this, and, and an inscription above it that says, he must increase and I must decrease. You know, that's the truth for every disciple that ever follows Jesus. We must decrease, that he must increase. We must glorify him. We must bear witness to him. We don't bear witness to Grace Baptist Church, or I hope you don't, because that, that, that could become an idolatrous situation. We don't bear witness to a preacher or a staff member or a pastor or anybody else. We bear witness to Christ, and he must increase in our witness, and we must decrease because he is the one to whom John witnessed as did the scriptures. The seventh witness was Jesus' disciples. John 15, 27 says, You also, talking to the disciples there that he's given the vine, the branches, talk to. He says, You will also bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. You've seen it. I love how John puts it when he writes that first epistle of John, when he starts writing to the churches and he He's writing and he says this, as this is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and practice not the truth. 
But in verse 3, he said this. He said, what we have seen and what we have heard, we proclaim to you. So that you may also have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. John says, here's my testimony. I heard it. I saw it. I witnessed it. And now I'm sharing this with you so that you might believe and that you might have fellowship with us. Because our fellowship is not just over cookies and ice cream and punch and sandwiches and meals. Our fellowship is in Jesus Christ with the Father. He's the center of our fellowship. The word fellowship in Greek talks about is a word koinonia. It means a common shared treasure. And our common shared treasure is Jesus Christ, of whom these disciples bore witness. And then finally, the eighth witness is the witness of the men and the women who personally encountered Jesus. I mean, Go back in the Gospel of John, go to any of the Gospels and and see what happens when people encounter him. One was the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4. Remember, we call her the woman at the well. She came out at a time when she shouldn't have been coming to get it. And Jesus' disciples there and he talks to her and and she says, Well, uh, you know, why are you talking to me? I'm I'm a woman first and I'm a Samaritan woman also and you're a Jewish man and there's no way you should be talking to me. Why are you doing this? And he starts just telling a story about her. So we'll go back and get your husband. Well, I don't have a husband. That's true. You don't have a husband. You've had many. And the one you're with now is not your husband. But, but I know. And how do you know these things? And finally, she goes back into town and she bears witness. And she says in John 4, 29, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Can this be the Messiah? Can this be the one who has come from God to be the Lamb of God? Or how about the man born blind? I mentioned him a minute ago. Jesus gave miraculous sight to. I mean, mean, the man had been blind since birth. There was another who had been crippled since birth. But the one born blind was given miraculous sight, and, and the religious leaders tried to silence him. They said, listen, don't be speaking in this name. Don't be telling what Jesus Christ, don't, uh, Jesus of Nazareth did. Don't let on. Don't tell anybody. And in John 9, 24, he said, one thing I do know, that I was blind, and now I see. You figured out for yourselves what that means, Sanhedrin, religious leaders. Those who fear him, you figure that out yourself. But I want you to know, I can only tell you this one thing. I was blind. And he touched me. He spoke to me. And now I see. But not just the testimony of the woman at the well or the man blind or the man who had been crippled since birth. And he said, take up your pallet and walk. And he got up. I mean, on and on and on you can talk about the testimony of those who believed, you know, who, those whom he touched, those whom he changed their lives. But that testimony continues on right on down till today. I mean, if you're here this morning, you know Jesus Christ. You can, if you've trusted him as Lord and Savior in your life, then, then you have a testimony. You've you got a testimony. Say, I, you know, I once was blind, maybe not physically, but spiritually, and now I see. I once was enslaved to sin, and now I'm free. 
I once was encumbered with all sorts of guilt and, and struggles and, and everything else, but Christ came and He set me free from all that. What a glorious truth. So John says, here is the, here's the preponderance of the evidence. Here's, here's all I can tell you. I'm a witness to everything. I saw it all. I heard it. I, I saw it. I, I touched it. I, I, I ate with him. I, I watched him. Peter says in another place, we were with him all these years. And, and he was a man without guile. He had no sin at all. We saw that. And yet he went to a cross. And he died there. That you and I might not just be forgiven of our sin. That's good. But that we might be adopted into the family of God. I I love what J.I. Packer says. He says, adoption is the heart of the gospel. I I love that. It's the heart of the gospel. That you who are alienated, you who are separated, you who are in your sin as slaves have been now adopted because of the testimony of people like John and John the Baptist and the prophets and the scriptures and Jesus himself and the Father and the Holy Spirit, those who encountered him in the biblical times and those who encounter him today. You've been adopted into his family. Made an heir with Christ. Given not just forgiveness of sin, but given a new life. Given a changed heart. Made different. Scripture even says made peculiar. A peculiar people. Why? Because of a relationship with Jesus Christ. Nothing else. Not because you were just always a good moral person. Not because you were smarter than everybody else or better than everybody else or anybody else. But because of the work of the gospel through the Holy Spirit in your life. You may be sitting here this morning saying, wow, I... I, Never really thought about that. Never really gave thought to who Jesus is and the preponderance of the witness and the preponderance of the evidence. That's why John does this. He wants you to see it. He writes for one purpose. I want you to believe in the only Son of God. I want you to believe in the one who died in your place for your sin and who rose again to prove it was true. We're talking about the other witness, I guess the ninth witness later, the witnesses to the resurrection in two weeks. But John says, this is what I want you to see. I'm writing this telling you the truth, folks. I I love how he says in verse 35 again, and he who has seen has testified and his testimony is true and he knows that he is telling the truth. (laughs) Do you hear it? 
three times. That's almost like holy, holy, holy. This is the Lord God Almighty. John says, don't miss this. I'm telling you who Jesus is. I'm testifying who Jesus is so you may believe in him and have your sin forgiven and be given his righteousness, clothed in his righteousness, imputed his righteousness to your account. Belief, faith, trust. The gospel message is. It's not about a guy who, bless his heart, came in and did the best he could to get people to believe in him and just failed. Not that. It's not a weak and powerless Savior who says, boy, I wish I could do more, but I can't. No, it, it's, it's the power of God in the gospel by the Holy Spirit that changes hearts. Have you believed? Simple question. Now you believe, oh yeah, I believe there's a God. Oh, I believe Jesus was a historical figure. Oh, I believe that, yeah, all that. No. Have you believed in him? Have you believed that his blood shed on the cross is a is a, a, a blood that cleanses sin and establishes a new covenant between you and God? Have you believed in the only begotten Son of God? For God so loved the world, John said, that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish, but will have eternal life. And that eternal life doesn't start the day you die. That eternal life starts the day you believe. The day you believe. It's a different life. In the here and now. Let's pray together. Father, it is by faith that we come to you. We don't wait until we can clean up our life and make everything right and get everything good. That follows coming to you. And Lord, if we try to straighten everything out before we put our faith in you, we will never put our faith in you, ever. We are sinners, and some of us are just nicer sinners than others, but we're all sinners in need of a Savior. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit will kindle a fire within us who are believers to, to not just believe it but to share it. The Lord will kindle a fire in those who don't know you to believe. Give them faith, O oh Lord. Give them the ability to trust and to come to you by faith. Father, do your work as only you can. Pray in Jesus' name.